room? Because I know some of you are into chess in the room. You would like, the, for you, the story matched the music. For the rest of us, we're like, man, that was way overblown. <laughs> right? So if you're watching from home, you're like, man, what's going on over there at Hope today? Um, and that was an epic battle. And uh, today I want to use the picture of chess to talk about and kind of frame what we're going to talk about, because I think it's really important, is that, that there is an, an, so much a bigger epic story battle that has already happened. So I want to just kind of bring us up to speed on what that was. God created, and it was good. God created everything. He created, man, male and female, and it was good. And then the enemy entered the story. And the enemy tempted, and man and woman chose to disobey. We call that sin. And it was bad. It was bad. And the implications and the uh, cascading consequences of sin were just rampant. And because of that, later on, God in his redemptive way, and God can redeem everything, God put together a plan. And his plan was to give, because there, all of this sin caused lots of complications, God gave them a something to live by that would help them do two things, that would protect them and would lead them back to a relationship with himself. We call it the law. You may not see the law, the first five books of the Bible that way, but that was the original intent of the law, was to protect God's people and to bring them back into relationship with himself. And so, enter back into the story, the enemy. The enemy brought that, which was good, and again, he began to turn that back toward evil. What does that look like? It looks like religion. And this is what was happening. So just, this is important, so stay with me. All this is so important that we realize that, that back in Moses' time, the, the rabbis began to interpret, that's what rabbis do, remember, they interpret the, the Torah, the law, they began to interpret that, and so they began to say, here's the law, and so you have to do all of these things, and the purpose of the law is to do all of these things so that you can be good. That was not one of the reasons that God gave the law. It wasn't to be good, it was to protect them and to have a relationship with themselves, but the enemy came in and said, yes, this is good, but I'll tell you how to make it bad, and they didn't know it. But they walked in that for so long. And so there's this epic battle for the hearts of men. And the Jews would come back all throughout the Old Testament. They would come back to God, and then they would go away. And they would come back to God, and they would go away. God would bring them back because guess what God does? He reconciles, he redeems, he restores. That's his heart. That's what he desires. He's a loving God, and that's what he does. So gracious in so many ways. And he would come in and tempt and and mankind would fall, and just back and forth and back and forth. There's this epic battle all throughout the Old Testament. And then I want you to see the picture as we open up in God's Word today to Matthew chapter 5. God had one more move up his sleeve, and then it was the final move. And God took that final chess piece that would lead to the ultimate checkmate, and he placed that chess piece into our history. And that chess piece has a name. Who was that? Jesus. So I want us to realize this today. 
that as we open up God's word and Jesus was talking, he's our rabbi, but he is also the victor. He is also the Messiah. They didn't really understand yet. The disciples didn't understand yet that reality. But we do need to realize that Jesus came to redeem and restore completely and be the final sacrifice for everything that we would ever need and to be the greatest gift that we could ever get. And that is a gift of life, eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so, so today, even as we speak, we said this before, I'll say it again, I promise I'll say this. Today, if you are in Christ, you don't have to fight for victory in your life. We are invited to fight from victory. So in other words, we sing that song, Victory in Jesus sometimes, and I love that, an old hymn. Victory in Jesus is not just a song we sing. It is our identity as followers of Jesus. Are you with me? Like that is our identity. That I mean, everybody likes to be on a winning team. I, I love to win. I'm very competitive by nature, and, and I just like to win. And I think there's something to today that we realize if you are in Christ, you already are victorious in or on the winning team. But we also know we have to follow it up to say that we all have our personal battles. And today you came with those. I don't know what those are for you. I've got plenty in my own life. But you've got battles in your life. And I think the heart behind what Jesus is going to roll out, remember we're talking about him, he is our rabbi, and, and he's rolling out his yoke, his comprehensive collection of teachings and interpretation of the law, and Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to undo it, right? And he came for these purposes here, he's clarifying the original intent of that which was, the purpose was, to protect us and to lead us back into a relationship with God. And so make no mistake, God wants you to experience victory in your battles of your life. Sometimes I think we question that. Like, I know we know broadly that's true, but I think sometimes, like, does, does God really want us to have victory of this specific area of our life? May I just say to you, our rabbi today, I think is teaching for us, is that he wants to position us for victory He wants you to be in the position of victory in whatever battle that is for your life. And I I talked it up now, so I guess we got to let God's word deliver, and it will. It never never returns void. Let's read Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And these seem to be separate, but these are all together. We're covering a good bit today. But it's a continued thought process. Jesus clarifying the original intent of God's redemptive law that he gave. You may have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collector at the lowest of low doing that? 
And if, you're, if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Uh, incredible verse here. I'm going to come back to it and what it means. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. He goes on. Chapter 6, verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. And if you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. And truly I tell you, they have received their reward. That's it. What they've gotten, that's all they're going to get in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It doesn't stop there. If I can just press a dot, dot, dot. The next passage is also connected, very much so. And Jesus is giving us tools for the battle so that we can be rightly positioned for victory in our life. And so if I want to give you a dot, 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 join me on Facebook Live on Wednesday. I'm going to interview an incredible lady who's a part of our church family. Uh, she's a little older than me and so much wiser than me. And I'm going to interview, on that, interview her on verses 5 to verse 15 because, man, she, uh, she's got a passion specifically for that area. And so, uh, so I'm just getting a little teaser. Around lunchtime, around noon on Wednesday, if you are available, join me on Facebook Live Live. And if you don't, if you're working and can't get to it, watch it later. It will be a time well spent. But here, Jesus, our rabbi, our our master, that's what we've said, that's what rabbi means, my higher one, my master rolls out three truths, three positions that will lead us to victory. I'm just jumping right in. The first is this, the position of grace and mercy. Grace and mercy. Verse 38 and 39, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, let me tell you, what that really means. Do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them and the other cheek also. You see, what he's addressing here is eye for an eye, which let me clarify what that is. It's actually used three times in the Old Testament. A little homework for review if you don't believe me. Exodus chapter 21, verse 24, eye for an eye is taught. Leviticus 24, 20, eye for an eye is taught. Deuteronomy 19, 21, eye for an eye also is taught. Affirmed, And so why is this important? This is a good law, a good paradigm, a good principle that, that God gave his people that then the enemy stepped in and made it kind of bad. Well, what do you mean? Well, the original intent for eye for an eye was to protect against excessive punishment and also permissiveness or under punishment. Does that make sense? I mean, if you go today... Maybe, maybe not today, there's no school today. If you were to go tomorrow to right next door to Lone Star Elementary and you go out to the playground and there's a second grade boy who pinches another second grade boy, there's going to be a response of some sort. Two things could happen in my mind in a no, if they're normal boys, right? So one, they'll pinch him back, which is what Jesus was saying. And then this is what God was saying, an eye for an eye. Like that, that seems right. Like you did this, I did that. Or, more likely than that, really, if someone pinches a boy, there's going to be something else that comes. It's like, boom, right in the nose, and he breaks the nose. That's just our nature. And so, what this principle is, that that's not just. There is a right 
consequence to, to these things. And so it protects against excessive punishment and permissiveness. So Jesus says for us, he clarifies that, that eye for an eye, what had happened over the years over rabbinical tradition was they actually said, hey, it is actually right. If someone does this, you can pretty much do whatever you want in response to it. Jesus said, no, that's not right. That's not just. And he even goes on to say, as we read through the passage, it's like, actually, that idea of revenge, personal revenge, will never be our place. It's just not right. Personal revenge was forbidden. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 35. Also in Romans chapter 12, verse 19 in the New Testament. So we have to have a balance in our life. Jesus is teaching that. We don't roll over. That's not our place. But we don't have personal revenge. That's not our place. Even as Jesus was speaking, and when the law was given, the law prescribed a system for justice. You may not know this. I think sometimes for me, when I, when I listen to what Jesus was teaching here, I kind of assume that the Jews were kind of living in anarchy. And they don't have a system, but they did have a system, and it's prescribed in the law. If you go read Deuteronomy chapter 16, it actually says, if you're a smaller town, get together the elders of the town, the men, elders, the gentlemen in in, in there, and you identify three to seven elders who become judges. So if there's an issue, whatever it would be, take it before this council of judges and let them speak toward that. Now, if you were a larger town... You get together 200 or so elders of the town, and you put together a larger group of judges, and which would be called something that we know in the New Testament that was called the Sanhedrin. Like, oh, wait a minute. That's that governing body that Jesus went before, and they ruled not so good in the New Testament, but God meant that for good. And so what Jesus is saying is like, look, don't take personal revenge. Eye for an eye is still true and is still just, but trust the system that God has put in place. And Jesus uses four illustrations. I'm not bringing any illustrations for this one. I'm gonna let Jesus illustrate this truth. So he gives four. The first is this. It's an illustration of dishonor. When someone dishonors you, don't respond as the world would respond. So he says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now I want you to think about that phrase, right cheek, right cheek. If someone is standing in front of you and they hit you on the right cheek, how would they have to hit you? I have to think about this myself too. It's like I had to orient myself. It's like someone would have to hit you with their left hand. Okay, what's so bad about that? Your left hand was dishonorable. If you were going to shake your hand, even back in those days, you would use your right hand. Your left hand was dishonorable. And if you want to know why, I'll tell you later, okay? It was considered unclean. And you just didn't touch someone with your left hand like that. You think about it again. Well, that's dishonorable. You don't do that. Well, how else could they do it? They could use their strong hand, their right hand, be right-handers, and they could slap you with the back of their hand. And that was the worst of the worst. So Jesus is saying, when someone dishonors you, don't respond as the world does. Respond with grace and mercy. So what's the difference between those? Grace is getting something you don't deserve, and mercy is not getting something you do deserve. So it's both and. Grace, getting something you don't deserve, a gift, okay? 
Mercy is not getting something you do deserve. So Jesus says, practice, position yourself with grace and mercy, not revenge. Don't roll over, send it on to the authorities that God's put in place. But when there's dishonor, your response is grace and mercy. The second illustration follows that. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Now, if you were to go to court and someone sues you back in those days, they could have taken everything but your coat. They would never have prescribed you, no matter what you had done. If you'd been sued and they sued your socks off, they could take your socks. They didn't have socks back then. They had sandals, but work with me, all right? Um, they could take your undergarments. They could sue you for your undergarments, and you could have, if you had nothing else, they could have your undergarments, but they could never have your cloak because that's the last thing you had to cover yourself. But what Jesus is saying is, hey, beyond that, just go ahead and give him your coat when you have nothing. Why? Because his paradigm is grace and mercy. That doesn't mean for us, it doesn't mean if you can take that too far, right? If you read 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, and other verses as well, uh, we have a responsibility to protect our family and do what's right for our family. Certainly men, that is our responsibility and role within the house. So it's not saying just roll over, but our paradigm for life has to be grace and mercy. So the spirit behind this truth is we are to be fueled by grace and mercy and justice, not revenge and animosity or greed. And the third one is, is I think for me, the, the most difficult uh, today for us. Uh, have you ever had someone try to take your freedom away? Oh, it, Jesus addresses that. And it's tough. This one stepped on my toes. He says this, if anyone forces you to go one mile, forces you, takes your freedom away. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. So context. We have to always read God's word in context. What's happening here? Well, the Jews were living, as Jesus was teaching, they were living under the dominion of the Romans, right? It was the time of the Roman occupation. They ruled that area for a long time. And so there was a, there was a, a law that said if a soldier, a Roman soldier, had stuff that they were carrying, whatever that is, they could at any time give it to a Jew, and the Jew had to carry that up to a certain point a mile. And think about that. I mean, it's hard enough that you don't even own your own land. You don't own your own city. You don't own your own nation. You are literally owned by another nation, but now they rub it in where, like, if I'm walking, going about my day, I'm working, or I'm talking, taking my wife on a, on a walk, and there's a soldier that says, here, you carry this with me until over there. I have to, by law, do that. So Jesus says, hey, if someone does that, then instead carry it two miles. And there's a real sense, like injustice, like if, if that soldier made me walk a mile, he owed me that mile. He owes that to me. And so what Jesus is teaching, instead of them owing that to you, why don't you go ahead and pay for theirs the second time? So you did yours and you paid for theirs. Go ahead and pay it off for them instead. Does that sound familiar? Uh, that's what Jesus did when he went on the cross. He had no debt. He had no sin debt. There was no reason for them, for him to crawl up on the cross. Only then grace, only mercy, 
because we had a debt that someone else had to pay. And so there's a real sense that this is, makes us like Christ, the great reversal that just unsettles everybody. Like that doesn't make worldly sense. Well, it doesn't because we're not of this world. We're of Jesus and he is our master and he is gracious and he is merciful. And the third is the giving, uh, the fourth illustration is the giving of our possessions. If, if you are asked, somebody in need to give something, we should, we should respond not with greed. We should respond with grace and generosity. This is to be a defining characteristic of God's chosen people, of, God's, of Jesus' disciples, that, that we are to be known as a generous people. And I just say for, for you guys, you guys are a generous people, but this should apply to every area of our life. If there's someone that is in need, like we, we should check our heart if we don't immediately respond to meet that need. We need to, this, all of these four illustrations are an invitation by our master, by our rabbi Jesus to check our heart and position ourselves in every way with grace and in mercy. And really what Jesus is teaching here is something that he practiced and he is a word that is ascribed of him. It is the truth and the characteristic of meekness. Meekness. Now, that's a really hard word for us to understand because it rhymes so closely with weakness. But what's the distinction between the two? Weakness is a lack of strength. Meekness is strength under control. Are you with me? We're not ever weak in Christ. We're quite the opposite. We have all of the strength and resources of everything. We are to, we could act and could do anything, but we are to be meek. We have the strength in Christ. We have all resources through him, but we are intentionally control those things channeled through grace and mercy. Apostle Paul described this in Romans 12, verse 17 and 21. He says this, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is, uh, wait a minute, your enemy, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. We talked about this last year. When we hear that, like, man, I love that. I can't wait to heap burning coals on my enemy. That's not what it means. This is not torture. Uh, that was a picture for them of someone who realizes they are wrong and they are repenting and turning back to restoration and reconciliation. And so they would wear burning coals. Like, I realize that I've been in the wrong. That's what kindness does. That's, that's what grace does. That's what mercy does. It leads people to the heart of God. And that is to reconcile and to restore and to experience all those things good that he has to offer. You see, we don't fight like the world does. Our weapons look completely different. We fight with grace and mercy. That is our position in Christ. If you are in Christ today, you are positioned in grace. Incredible, infinite grace. You are positioned in mercy. You already have that infinitely in Christ. If you are in Christ, you already have his grace. You already have his mercy. 
And that should also be our position in this world. That's the truth. The first is the position of grace and mercy. The second is the position of love. Jesus says in verse 43, You have heard it said that love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus was quoting from the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 19. It says, love your neighbor, love your neighbor. And so, who is your neighbor? Well, they answered that in that time. And the rabbis of that day, rabbinical tradition, answered that over and over again. They answered that. Their neighbor, who was their neighbor? Fellow Jews. Well, the problem is uh, they, uh, they left out the rest of the passage that God gave them, the rest of the law. Well, what was that? Leviticus chapter 19, verse 33 and 34 Verse 18 was love, love their neighbor. So they're like, man, verse 18, woohoo! We're going to love each other and do it well. Well, verse 33 and 34, when a foreigner resides with you in your land, you must not oppress him. The foreigner who resides with you must be to you like a native citizen among you. So you must not love him as your, so you must, sorry, you must love him as yourself because you were foreigners in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You see, there was a choice omission of those verses from rabbinical tradition. And and there was a reality that the Jews loved themselves, but they despised everybody else. The Qumran sect of Jesus' day, who preserved the Dead Sea Scrolls, maybe you've heard of the Qumran cave and the Dead Sea Scrolls found in the 40s. Um, the, The Qumran had a saying, and they would say this. It's written down in many, many places. Love the brother. Hate the outsider. Hmm. And this was taught as truth back in those days, that we were to love our brothers and we are to hate the enemy. I mean, those people out there, we, we, can't, we can't have anything to do with them. And Jesus is taking it back. He says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You've heard this. They had. Many times they'd heard this. But I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. You see, Jesus wasn't teaching something new. He was bringing them back to what was the original intent of the law. You see, the Jews, they believed that it was duty to love, their duty to love fellow Israelites and hate outsiders. So instead of love, racism and ethnocentrism reigned. Uh, may I just go on a limb and say this is still true today for the church? I think so many times we are good at loving each other. And we are, by the way. If you're new today and some of you guys are, uh, this, this Hope Church, uh, we're a new church, but we're a family. And we love each other. Like, I, like deeply we love each other. We take care of each other in so many ways. If you want to experience that, come on Wednesday nights. We still have meals every Wednesday night from 530 to 630. Why do we do that? Not just for some food, although that's great. Thank you, Terry, and your team. Y'all are amazing. We, we love coming to eat. I mean, we, who doesn't like to eat? But why don't we do that? We, we are a family, and family eats together, and we talk together, and we live life together. So that's important. Like, we do that as a church, and thank God for that. Thank God that God has done that here at Hope. But it's equally as important that we love the people that aren't here that are here, no matter who they are. Well, this is a tough one, y'all. Like, we are commissioned to love everyone. Why? Well, God told us to, but that's what he does. And that's what the master does. That's what our rabbi does. So therefore, that is what we are to do. The last position we find in verses 1 to 4 of chapter 6 is position 
of humble generosity. Jesus doesn't even question whether his people are going to be a giving people. He says, when you give. So he just assumes we're going to be a giving people. And we are. You guys are a generous people. But not just to be a generous, but to be humbly generous. To, to not do it in a prideful way. To not do it in any way that we would have any human acclaim that we would benefit from it. We just give because... As we talk about in our membership class, which is the second Wednesday of every month, if you wonder when we're doing our next membership class, the second Wednesday of November is our next, our next class. If you're wondering, man, I want to learn more about this church. We talk about this, that, that, that we, we have to do four things as members of this church. And we get to, a much better way to say it, uh, gather for worship, check, you guys have done that. Uh, group, find a group to get into and grow in it. Uh, go, that is to live on mission uh, individually and together, and to give, that we are to live a generous life. Why? Because God is a generous God. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's like, hey, when you give, when you give. Side note, little side note. I'm going to wrap up here in a moment. Stay with me. Side note, if, if giving is not a part of your life, um, you misunderstand what worship is. And it's not just like putting something in the box on the way out, although I love doing that. And we should be able to do that joyfully and generously, and you guys do. And if you're not, man, I just say you're missing out on a blessing. Because there's a, a vast difference between God taking and us giving. I think so many times when we give, whatever that is, uh, you, whatever comes to mind, it's like, okay, God said I have to, so he's gonna, I'm going to give it to him. He's taking it from me. no. God owns it all. He doesn't need it. It's, a, it's a, an act of a worship. That's why I miss, where did I bring it back? <laughs> I miss the passing of the plates. Why does that matter? Because that's worship. I mean, not just that. We give of our time. We give of our talents. And we give of our treasures. All of that. Worship is 24, 7, 365, right? It's not just what we're doing here. But there's just something of substance that, that, that we give because we're disciples of Jesus. But when we give, we give with humility. We give with humility. So who was the Super Bowl winner in 1991? Anybody know? The Washington Redskins? Is that true? I don't know. I really don't know. I should have looked it up. Somebody look it up. Who won the Super Bowl in two, and, and I don't know who it was. Somebody said in the first service, they said the 49ers. And that wouldn't make sense. That was the time the 49ers were really good with Joe Montana and all of them. Um, who was the, the flag football Super Bowl winner in Livingston, Texas in 1991? I was. So I played flag football, and I loved it. I was quarterback on a team. I don't remember a lot from my childhood, honestly. I don't even remember the name of the team. I just remember that we won. And everybody likes to be on a winning team, right? I was the quarterback, but I want to tell you that this was a tough game, the Super Bowl game. And there I am. That's my picture there. There I am. See, I had hair. There I was, 11 years old me. I've got it right here on this deal. Um, but it was a tie ball game going into the fourth quarter. It was a hard-fought battle. We were back and forth, back and forth. And my coach, Coach Bigby was his name. 
He called a play that we had practiced but had never done ever in a ball game. So the play was called a triple reverse. So if you don't know what that is, here's the way it was supposed to work. I was supposed to take the ball, hike. Remember, I'm the quarterback. Center's right there. Hike, I get the ball, and there's my running back right here. He comes behind me, and I hand it to him, okay? And beautifully, he takes that around, and he hands it off. He's going this way, and he hands it off. And there's a receiver that gets the ball, and he goes this way, and everybody's moving this way. And then there's another receiver over here that's really fast, and they get the ball. You see, that's the triple first, second. And they get the ball, and they run around. Well, uh, this was the way it was supposed to happen. Here's the way it happened. Hike, I'm going around. The really big quarterback, the really small, me, you can tell, oh, there's not much to me, really not at that age. And I handed the ball in, and something happened. He got the ball, but his body, his shoulder, lots of momentum, collided with my nose and immediately broke my nose. Immediately. I, was, I went to the ground. I kind of think I didn't, I don't remember for a little bit. It kind of knocked me out for a little bit. And I woke up pretty quickly, and I got blood everywhere. I have a red shirt on, but I got blood everywhere. It's coming out everywhere. And, and, but the play is still going. You see, he got the ball, and he ran around. And then the receiver came around, and he, he's this way. And, and I'm just kind of a little bit dazed, but I'm watching this. And then the receiver gets the ball, and he goes, and he goes, and he goes, and he goes. And time was almost up in the game, and he goes and goes. And here I am laying there on the ground, nose bleeding, and I'm watching this happen in my life. And touchdown. We won the Super Bowl. Ah, yes. Then I realized something, a few things. I had nothing to do with that win. I had, I had nothing to do with it. All these other players had something to do with it. That play, like, I, I mean, I guess I didn't fumble the snap. I guess I did that much. But that was all I contributed to that deal. And I've fumbled plenty of snaps in my time. But you know what I realized is true? is my coach had positioned us the whole game for success. You see, the coach knows a lot. They're really wise. And he had done just the right amount of runs. This is what coaches do in football. They're so important. I don't care what anybody says. Like just the right, right amount of runs for, for them to, to not be expecting a, a pass. And then just amount enough of passes to not be expecting a run. And they didn't know what was going on until that moment, that play. They had no idea they were expecting a run or a pass. And instead... The coach knew what he was doing and triple reverse for the win. You see, this is the reality of what Jesus is saying here. Scripture is very clear that we, we live in victory, but we can't make the victory. We can't make it. Jesus has done this. He is the great coach. And he's saying, as our rabbi, he's saying, look, if you want victory in your life, I have given it to you and I will give it to you today if you practice these things, grace and mercy. Practice love and practice humble generosity. And may we realize anew, and I know this, I know you know this, but may we realize that all of those things are so completely manifested through Jesus already. We already have his never-ending mercy. We already have his never-ending grace. He is perfect in it, and it is never-ending. We already have his love. We already have his generous nature. It has been given to us. It is our position. And so that's who Jesus is. 
since he's our rabbi, that is our rabbi, that is who we are to become. So I would ask you today, just a challenge for today, let's move toward those things and live like him today. Amen. I hope you come back next week. It's going to be a little different. It's Halloween. But, uh, yeah, it's the 31st next Sunday. So it's a weird Sunday, Halloween Sunday. But let me tell you, Halloween is not the devil's day. Every day is God's. You know, that's what Scripture says. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So make no mistake, God reigns over that day. And we're going to make the most of it. If you've got kids, bring your kids. They're going to be having a fun time over there. In here, I've asked on my Facebook, Justin Dancer, look me up on Facebook. I want to hear from you. Fill in the blank. This is what I want to hear, blanking in a scary world. Okay, I want you to answer that for me. Before the end of the day tomorrow, please answer this. If you want to speak into it, go to my Facebook page and respond. Blanking, whatever, fill in the blank, something ING in a scary world. And we're going to address three of those next Sunday. So I hope you come back. We're going to have a panel up here. It's going to be nice and cozy for us. And we're going to have a conversation rooted in Scripture together. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are... Um, you are so completely gracious, so completely merciful and loving. And you are so generous, to even that we've got to do what we've got to do, what we've had a chance to get to do for this past hour. We got to meet with you. We got to meet together. We got to sing praises to your name. We got to talk and have a conversation with you, and we got to hear from your word. God, I pray today, God, that we would be practitioners and not just hearers of your perfect word, but find us faithful to extend grace, to extend mercy. That could be our marriage, it could be our kids, it could be our friends, it could be our family, it could be our workmates, God. Find us extending grace and mercy, but find us loving and find us living generously. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. Would you stand?